This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Uh, Great to to have you with us. Lord, we uh, love being in your presence. We love to soak ourselves in your word. We thank you for the time I get to to study and prepare. Thank you for the the good it does me. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we look through Nehemiah 2 and 3 this morning, that it would do these guys some good. Lord, we thank you that your word is true and helpful for training and rebuking and encouraging. And I pray this morning as we kind of, in the slingshot of what Mark brought last week, uh, I pray that we'd uh, become disciples of you. I pray that we dig into the power of everybody being together in community. And so, Lord, I pray, give me skill and wisdom. Give us open hearts to hear. I pray that your word would go deep and bring transformation. Amen. Yeah, I had a really enjoyed the weekend away. It was one of the things that, <clears throat> that I felt uh, as I walked my dog and pray. I, I felt I'd got into a habit of praying to God up there, which is an interesting. And, and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I, I'm here. I'm with you. So I tried to change my focus to him, one who comes alongside. And I felt that came out in the worship about how God just goes before us and stands behind. He's not above and far away. So I'm living in the good of the weekend and I hope that you are. And if you didn't, come. God still loves you. And I'm going to steal some of Matt's stuff because I felt that some of the things that Matt brought were good for us to embed in as as a community. And you may have done that in your group this week. And I'm going to try and pick up some of those things. So I changed my sermon. Uh, Matt was pleased I was changing my sermon. He thought, wow, I've really influenced him. Changing my sermon, that's precious. Okay, so let me bring you up to speed. We're in Nehemiah, which is a book that happens, pretty much most of it happens around in one year, 445 BC. Nehemiah is a Jewish exile, a slave, whose family were taken from Jerusalem. And probably 140 years ago, previously to that, and he'd grown up in Persia, and he was cupbearer to the king. We are all right. Okay, he's cupbearer to the king, and he hears afresh that Jerusalem, which is like this picture of the church of God, he hears afresh that Jerusalem is destroyed, its gates are uh, are burned with fire, its walls are pulled down, and he's moved uh, to pray. He's moved to, he connects, as it were, with his emotions in that moment, and he's moved to pray, and he weeps uh, weeps over Jerusalem. And as he's doing that, he prays for about four months. Remember I said that uh, he did about a hundred days of prayer for about ten minutes of action, where often we're so much the other way. But he really lets, he prays into it and prays into it, and catch, suddenly he realizes that he's the solution. Why don't we do something? And sometimes we need to be the, the prayers, uh, the answer to the prayers that we're praying. And he does, God catches his heart. 
And I said that unless you weep over the ruins, you're never going to rebuild the walls. And then he steps out in a bold moment and asks the most powerful man in the world, uh, could I uh, have a year off? Will you give, make me the governor of this um, uh, province of the Persian Empire? And will you change your foreign policy, which for 13 years has been, no, you can't rebuild Jerusalem. And so he says, to, he says at the end, and the king agreed to my request because the gracious hand of God was on me. So he's kind of gone through that, uh, we'll pick it up later, but he's gone through that kind of recognising what's happening, connecting with his emotions, praying, repenting, uh, renouncing some stuff, which we talk, uh, talked about the weekend, and then saying, God, I'm stepping out. So that's, that's where we are. So let's pick up the story. I'm going to read chapter t- the end of chapter 2 to where we've got to. I'm not going to read chapter 3, and you'll realise why, but if you have a Bible, it might be handy at some point to, to look at chapter 3. So let's read chapter 2. When Sambalat... Uh, the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this. That's obviously Nehemiah coming back to Jerusalem to get something done. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, obviously Nehemiah's writing, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out uh, during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone about, uh, about my God, what God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem being broken down in its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on to the, uh, the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up by the valley, that's the valley of Gehenna, we talked about that somewhere else, by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing because I'd not yet said anything to the Jews or priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to him, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that will no longer be in trouble and disgrace. And I told them that the gracious hand of my God was upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let's start building. So they began the work. Okay, so, so it's Nehemiah gets back to uh, Jerusalem and he's, he's good to go. And he goes out and rides out at night uh, to survey the walls of Jerusalem. And I thought about that just uh, at first. I thought, well, yeah, yeah, obviously he goes out at night because there's enemies and he doesn't want to, his enemies to see what he's up to. And he goes out at night because obviously he doesn't want the people of Jerusalem to know what he's up to yet. Because he hasn't told them, he says, he says I hadn't told the ones who were going to be doing the work. Which is often a good idea, isn't it? Yeah. Just make sure you don't tell them too early so they get their complaints in. So, but I thought about it and I thought, but actually it seems a bit ridiculous to go at night, doesn't it? Do you, if you were going to survey, if you were, I mean, where's Tom? Is he out? Is he going out? Is he? I've got a buzz here. Ho, 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 ho. Okay, try. So, so I guess if you're building a house or something, um, you, you wouldn't go and survey the, the, the work at night, would you? That, that, or yes, he wants to come see what he's doing. But I think there's, there's something more. I think he wants, to, he, he wants to get these few guys that go with him to kind of catch the emotion of the moment. And I don't think that they really needed to look because I think they'd lived with the ruins all their life. But there was something perhaps about the stillness of night, something about the moment of night without the bustle of the city that, that actually they could focus on what was going on. And actually I think they'd know. 
what was there. But I think he's asking them to, to, to re-see. He's asking them to reconnect with, with what's wrong. And I think he's asking them to do that because, because he'd done that. I, he lived away in Persia. He'd probably not seen the situation, but he knew that the walls were broken down, the city's in ruins. And then he hears this report uh, from his brother or his former, one of his families that says that Jerusalem's in a mess. And I think it catches him emotionally. And I think what he's trying to do, he's trying to get these few men that are going with him to reconnect with the situation. He's trying to get them to reconnect with what is it really like. And I don't think actually physical seeing was what was really required. Because I think most of us <clears throat> are aware of what stuff's, when stuff's wrong. He's, um, I think he's getting them to connect with, with what, what, what it's really like. He's getting them to hear afresh. Because actually for 143 years, uh, Jerusalem had been a mess. It wasn't just a few weeks. It's enemies and the evil outside the city had been able to come in. They brought fear and slavery and famine and poverty and idolatry and unbelief into the city. And the people <clears throat> were in dis- trouble and disgrace. But I think the shocking thing was they just got used to it. They just got used to it. 143 years and they just got used to it. They got used to the fact where the wall was broken down, where there were gaps. We'll find as we go on there were gaps everywhere. But they just had got used to it. And I think that sometimes in our lives we are like that. We just get used to it. We look at the state. I mean, it was in the papers again uh, this week, uh, a report, uh, I think from the States, but they were commented about the UK. Basically, the report said that the Church of England and the church in the UK, if present trends continue, will be gone by 2067. That's what, I don't know if anyone saw that report. And we just get used to that kind of information. We just get used to the whole mess of it all, but more about about the church and the nation. But actually, building on from what Matt said, we also get used to the stuff in our lives. We just get used to it. We get used to our issues. We start, thank you Sophie so much. We start to think, that's just the way it is. We start to think, yes, fine, I just put up with that. That's just me. That problem, that habit, that way of going on, that thing I struggle with, that's just me. And you think, can I ever change? And in fact, you, uh, Matt, helpfully at the weekend said, sometimes we're even ignorant of the gaps. We don't even know what our issues are. Now that's why community is good, because sometimes... You may not know what your issues are, but everybody else does. But sometimes it's hidden from, from yourself and others. You, the, all the, the issues are hidden away. We don't really know what our issues are. And, and we live in, thank you for getting ahead of me, we live in ignorance of the issues and failings in our own character. We simply learn to cope with them and learn to live with them. And Matt said, this is kind of like your heart armoured up. Nothing affects you anymore. You're just become immune to the situation. And I think the people in Jerusalem were like that. They, their hearts had just got hard. All they were trying to do was make sure they got enough food on the table, make sure that they, they, they could kind of be with their families, that they weren't taken into slavery. They just got used to the idolatry around them, that the fact that the temple was destroyed and there was Babylonian pagan worship all around. They just got used to it. And I feel it's almost like that Matt took us on a tour of the walls. He wouldn't have used that language, but he took us on a, a tour of the walls. It wasn't actually on a Saturday night when he, he took us on a tour of the walls and, and showed us our own hearts. 
And I felt that the, the thing I wanted to pick in from Matt just to get this in our culture, and sorry if this is the third time you've seen it in a week, uh, there's this really helpful, um, I think Flick has called it the discipleship wheel. So we'll go with that. I don't know what Matt calls it, but um, it's basically, it isn't like taken from one Bible passage, but it, it, it's, it's a kind of conglomeration of kind of lots of good things that the Bible tells you to do, to deal, to look at the gaps, as it were, in your life, to look at the gaps in the wall in your own life, in your own family, in your own marriage, in your own church. And it's that kind of way of looking at it. So they all begin with our five stages, if you, if you can spot it. Rec- whoop, hang on. Recognize, respond, repent, renounce, receive, all hopefully being with our, and I'm going to add, rebuild. Clever, eh? You'd think I did this for a living. Okay, so, so let's just go through uh, this, and I'm going to go through it with an issue of mine. My wife is probably thinking I need to go to the loo at this point. I'm going to go through with an issue of mine, and you're going to go, oh my word, he needs prayer. Okay, so, so just, so, so basically, we need to identify those areas that need rebuilding. What are those areas that re, 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 need rebuilding? And the first thing is to recognise it. So Matt talked about this, and I think, for example, what does a situation or circumstance, what does it tell you about your heart? So let me tell you of an, an example of uh, Twitter and Facebook. I even thought, and I, and I might do this, I may, I may need to go off Twitter and Facebook, actually, um, for a season. I want to tweet about the advanced conference and then I'm done. <laughs> so I want to get off Twitter and Facebook because it kind of messes with my head. And, and there was, um, does, that, does anybody else feel that sometimes Twitter and Facebook mess, are you, uh, messes with your head? Just flick. It does, doesn't it? Most of us are cool. But I know what happened. So this is what happened about two, three years ago. I, I'm starting to see pictures of a leaders conference in Turkey with about 150 new, new Frontiers leaders. I told you I was going to wash my washing, so. So, about 150 New Frontiers leaders, and they're all tweeting about, great to hear PJ, great to hear Terry, picture, picture of them by the pool, picture of them, so there's my friend Matt, and his, fr- and my friend Wayne, and my friend, all my friends are there. And I'm processing like, oh wow, either. 150, surely 150 leaders. I must have made the cut somewhere. Well, what happened? Do they realize how good I am? <laughs> Do they realize how gifted I am? Well, how, you know, I'm working through a whole lot of emotions. Like, there must be, there must be something wrong with them. They, you know, and then I'm like feeling jealous and feeling angry and sad. And I'm going through all these emotions and I'm thinking, I just have to stop watching. And so what I did is I took the emotions of that moment and rather than recognize what I was doing, I stuffed it all down. I don't know if you ever do that. You sort of stuff it down and think, this is too painful. I know that Naomi likes to have those deep conversations. And what she tends to do, I have those deep conversations just before we go to sleep. And what I sometimes do, and genuinely sometimes I'm tired. <laughs> I genuinely sometimes I'm tired, and I think, oh, I'm tired. But generally I think, oh, I just haven't got the emotional energy to do this. So <laughs> yeah? Do you do that? No, it's just us. Okay. Fine. And so what happens is I'm feeling all these issues. And then I rang my mate Pete. Not Pete Smythe. He was there. Pete Cornford, who uh, some of you may know, is a really, really good mate of mine. And he'd just come back from a bit of a train wreck of a, a church plant in, in Australia. And he's feeling pretty beat up. And normally he would have gone. Because he hosted overseas churches in London. And he wasn't invited. And we rang. We spoke to each other on the phone. And I said, we chat, 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 chat. And I'm thinking, I'm not mentioning it. And he said... Oh, Howard, I've had a really bad week. 
So why is that? It's these pictures from the conference are just messing with my head. And I, oh, it's not just me then. <laughs> so I thought, oh, right, I better, I better deal with it. So we talked on the phone. Pete and I, he's a really good friend of mine. We used to be in a three together in London years ago. And we talked on the phone. I said, well, why do we feel like this? And how do we feel it? And, and I, I, I guess I didn't really work through Matt's process, like consciously, but I think if I knew it, I would have done. But this is what I did, and it? It didn't really fall into that night, neat, neat, tidy phrases, but, but I said, I recognised what was happening. I finally thought, what is matter with my heart? Why can't I be glad that these guys are there? That they're getting refreshed, that they're leading churches and they're busy. Why am I feeling sad and jealous and all that? And so I recognised that, and I processed it with my emotions. Yes. How did I feel? And then the next thing is, I had to, these two, the next two, do, do, do the next one and the next one. Okay. I didn't like have them all neatly sorted out in my head. I didn't sort of think, oh, well, therefore I need to repent of some bad thinking and I need to forgive some people and I need to renounce some lies and I need to announce some stuff. It was all a mess in my head. But this is kind of what, it, if I tried to tease it out, this is what I had to do in no particular order. I had to renounce the lie that my identity and worth was based on how far I travelled towards the imaginary centre of my relational network. That emotional thing of feeling outside, most of us feel that, some way or another. But my identity was too based on it. If I was there, what, what would I have been like? They were probably just enjoying the conference. But I <laughs> I've made it. I'm at the conference. Hello. Hello, Terry. Hello. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello. Aren't we important leaders at this conference? You know, and I, oh, my identity and worth were based on the wrong things. I had to renounce that. I had to announce my identity is what? What is my identity? Prince. I'm a prince. I'm loved by Jesus. I'm a son of God. My issue is I need to know I'm a son. Tell me again. Tell me again. Tell me again. Yes, and I need to repent of the subtle motives that whisper. This is where I, my, even today, if I build a big church, then I get invited and everyone would love me and accept me. I had to repent of the suggestions that my friends or leaders were an arrogant, smug bunch like me. And I forgive them if they were. I had to repent of the self-pity and sadness that comes from comparison. Let me say that again. I had to repent of the self-pity and comparison and sadness that comes from comparison. I, you know, I've said this before, isn't it? Comparison is the enemy of joy. We all do it, ladies. You do it in the mirror. Guys, you do it in the workplace, your pay packets. You do it in parents, you do it with but your kids. We look and woof, woof. Oh, you sleep through the night. Mine's not. Mine's a nightmare, Bob. You know, whatever. We compare everywhere. And the truth is, I think it was Naomi's dad who said to me, you know, and the thing is, we always compare up. We always compare up. There are kids that are better than me, better behaved than my kids. I, I think, wow, what wonderful teenagers. There they are, preaching at conferences, and my kids won't even get off the Xbox, you know, whatever. And you, you compare up, don't you? You don't compare down and you go, sorry, Zach, I didn't realise you were here. I thought they were all gone out. <laughs> and, and, and you don't compare down, do you? Look at that, really. Well, if you do, you're an arrogant so-and-so, but you don't tend to say, well... Look at that family. But we do all that comparing. It's a mess, isn't it? Oh, and you've got to repent of that. And then we've got to announce, and this is from Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. My joy is not found in how people see me. 
Right, so that was like those five. And then what are you supposed to do? I didn't do this at the time, but I need to do it now. So I'm just going to have a moment and you're all going to pray for me, all right? I thought, why not get some prayer while I'm doing it? <laughs> Let's do the last phase. I, I, I'm just going to give a moment. I, I don't want you to pray out, but I'm just, we're going to be silent. I want you to pray silently about my stuff. Holy Spirit, we just receive, I just receive your, your grace to me. Thank you that you're good and glorious, gracious and great, that there's nowhere else I need to look but you. There's no one more loving, more fulfilling than you, that my identity is found in who I am in you. And Lord, so I just pray once again, repent of even the challenges that are going to come with the, with the advanced conference. Lord, I want it to go well but for sometimes all the wrong reasons. So Lord, I just pray for your grace upon me. Amen. Amen. But I see, in my, I see this cycle. You see how the cycle works? Whoa, time. Yeah, see how the cycle works. Nehemiah does the same cycle, but in a much more virtuous way than me. Yeah? So here's Nehemiah. He does the cycle. The first thing he does, he pays attention to the report that's coming in. He, he recognises the gates are burned and destroyed. He kind of sees afresh recognises something that's been around 143 years, gets it afresh. Next thing that happens, I'll do it from this one actually, next thing that happens, he says, I sat down and wept emotionally, chapter 1, we talked about that. So there's an emotional response and, and it's important to be able to connect emotionally, not just stop it, say, this is how I feel. He felt good, it was a good thing that he wept, it was a, a noble thing that he wept. Sometimes you can be angry and that's a good thing. When you hear about sex trafficking and you hear about kind of stuff that happens, you know, you Islamic State beheading people in Egypt you feel angry about that and that's okay that emotion's okay but sometimes I feel angry about all the wrong stuff he repents if you read it we went for it he repents of his own sins and the sins of his father and the next thing then he says he has to renounce some things and announce some things this is what he, I don't know what he's renouncing but we can probably play so if he's saying God is great and awesome what does he have to renounce? You could put it in the same way. You could try to be subtle and put it in different words. Who wants to play? What's he renouncing? He's renouncing that the, the Babylonian king is stronger than God. Top job. He's announcing that, that actually because the Babylonian kings have come and come and destroyed Jerusalem, that they're the great and awesome ones, not God. And we need to do that. We need to renounce that actually God can't do anything, that revival can't come, that, that Whitfield and Wesley and types like that can't walk this nation again and change it again. Because if that's what we believe, then we've really got some renouncing to. We've got to believe that God can do it again, can't we? Yeah? Renew is what your works in my day. Uh, that because, he says, because you've saved your people before, I did, he's doing just what I did. You, this nation was a mess 150 years ago. 10,000 prostitutes on the street, streets of London in, in, you know, 1800s or whatever. And Wesley and Whitfield, and, uh, and then that impacts the nation, and Wilberforce changes slavery, and Shaftesbury starts to kind of put kids in homes and stuff, and the nation gets changed. Can a nation be changed in a day, the, the Bible asks. This is totally off my notes, I'm sorry, I might be five sermons is where this is going. Can a nation be changed in a day? And the answer is? Yeah, we need to renounce the fact that our answer is no. And the king is just a man. Thank you, Paul. You read well from the slide, but you were there anyway. So he goes through that process, doesn't he? 
I think that, that, that Nehemiah is taking the men of Jerusalem on that journey with them. He had asked them to recognize the state of Jerusalem's walls because he's discipling them. There is little three if you want. If you don't know what three is, I get one a flyer from the table. He asked them to emo- own their emotions of disgrace and trouble. They're to renounce the lie that God has abandoned them. They're to repent of what? Apathy. Anything else? What have they got to repent of? 143 years, it's a mess. What are they repenting of? Inaction. Apathy. Inaction. The fact that they're blind, that their eyes didn't see. They've got to repent of all that. And they've got to announce the gracious hand of God is upon, not just Nehemiah, but us. And they say what? Let's get going. Let's start building. So it's funny, so, so, so we've got this situation where, 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 where he's catching them up in the journey of, of, of his journey, of the discipleship journey, of the journey of saying, let's own our stuff and let's deal with it, let's renounce, kick out the rubbish, and let's be strong and do something. And then what happens is we move to chapter 3, and, and in chapter 3, if you get chapter 3, he did this, and they did that, and they did that, and they built that section, and they did built that section. And, they, and actually, it, it looks a little bit like the, the, the phone book. It looks a bit like Yellow Pages, like a list of names. So here's, here's a clip from Yellow Pages. Um, imagine that we were looking through the builders of Cheltenham. Let's put this in for a bit of humour for you. <laughs> Slight drizzle, no problem, we're off home. Sp- sporadic building services, we offer a range of services from... Uh, I can't even read it. Puncturing the gas mains on Christmas Eve to flooding your bathroom. <laughs> Sorry about that word. Didn't see that. Oh, my word. <laughs> but you can just... If I had said to read it, you wouldn't have... You'd have thought it's yellow pages, wouldn't you? Yeah? Sorry. <laughs> Move it on. <laughs> Move it on now before I lose my job. <laughs> but imagine you're reading that list of all those dodgy builders... And then you come a TJ Hunt in building landscape. Ooh, I know that. I know that person. Yeah? Well, as you read through Nehemiah chapter 3, you think, I don't know any of these people. I've read it through before. I thought, is there anybody I know in here? Is there anybody who gets a mention we know? And so it can feel really anonymous to us. But actually, if it was the G1 address book organized by families, uh, then, then it might be different. You said... Alan, they lived in Swinon Road in St. Paul's. Him and his family, blah, blah, blah. And then you went through to the next. You went through the families, or maybe it was the G1C groups. It maybe it was like, uh, and uh, the hunting group met in Presbury, out at Tom's house, or whatever, yeah? And I think that what we need to understand is that God knows everybody. Nehemiah lists everybody, even though they seem like they're nobodies. Nehemiah lists everybody because everybody everybody counts. Everybody counts. In discipleship, everybody counts. It's not that you just need me to get sorted, which you do, and then we'll work down the line. You need all of you to get sorted. All of you need to understand that you have got the work of being a disciple, being a community of disciples on a mission. That's what it's about. That we're all in that. And the list is brilliant. It's got men and some women. It's got Jews and foreigners. It's got rich and poor, nobles, commoners, skilled and unskilled. And that's the diversity we, that the church should have. It's for everybody. Building the walls and sorting out your stuff is for everybody. Some demographics are better at owning it. So I love Portuguese demographic. <laughs> 
Yeah? That, it's kind of out there. It's Latin. We're our demographic. Oh, got no, you know, we've got no staff. And, and, and we're out there, in it? Different demographics. But all of us have got our staff to deal with, all of our things to work on. And Nehemiah knows everybody and celebrates the contribution of everyone. And it's, and this list, there's a couple of quotes here. This list is one is too small a number to achieve greatness. In other words, you ain't going to get it done on your own. You're not going to get church done on your own. You're not going to get life done on your own. You're not going to be a disciple of Jesus on your own. You need Jesus, so that would be a helpful too, wouldn't it? But you definitely need us. Uh, that South African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And actually, it's interesting in organizations, actually, time's still going, I'm okay. Interesting in organizations, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, it's called the Pareto Principle. Hands up if you've heard of this, Pareto Principle. Okay, a few of you have, those people that work in organizations. Those of us that work in the public sector. <laughs> Okay, so Pareto Principle is called the 80-20 rule. Yes, the law of the vital few. 80% of the effects come from 20% of the causes. In other words, Apple it would, would make 80% of their money from 20% of their products. Yeah, that's, you, you understand how that works. In other words, the, the seesaw tips the wrong way. 20% is getting it done, and 80% is not getting it done. And actually, this Pareto Principle works in all kind of organizations. I was... Um, praying with somebody at G1C, chatting to them, and they were talking about how he's finding it difficult with his boss at work, who is a bit of a slacker. And uh, you can feel, well, I'm doing all the work, and these people aren't doing it, and they're in the 80%, but yet they're getting 8% of the money, and I'm doing 8% of the work and getting 20% of the money. Whatever, you can work that at work, can't you? But it also works in church, doesn't it? 20% of the people do 8% of the work. It's not so bad in this church, actually. 20% of the people invite 80% of the visitors. 20% of the people give 80% of the money. And actually what happens is you slip away as churches and organizations get larger more into this Pareto principle. So one of the things I had lunch with a, 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 a theologian actually, very grand, it made me feel good there that moment, a theologian for lunch on, uh, on Friday, and, um, and he said, so what are you going to do with your elders then? Are they just going to like sit at the front on big high chairs? I thought... I don't know which church you've been at, but no. <laughs> because it's like not suddenly that we're going to appoint elders and they're going to be the ones that do the, eight, that do the work. We're going to appoint these few people, these vital few, and they're going to do it all and you're all just going to sit. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to bust the Pareto principle. We're going to say, no, everybody needs to play their part. So it's not like suddenly, if we suddenly have different teams and different people and you're not on it, well, I'm out. We're all called to play. We're all called to be in, in uh, rebuilding the church, building the church, and we're all called to play our part. So no Pareto principle here. So Nehemiah says in the chapter, uh, chapter uh, 3, it says, they worked together. And then you find this interesting phrase that says, next to him worked so-and-so, and next to them worked so-and-so, and next to them worked, worked through. And it's almost like going through this list of who, who's working, where it is. And then you get to this one point where it says, uh, and this... Uh, if you're from Tekoa, is anyone from Tekoa here? The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under the Lord. Woo! The nobles of Tekoa clearly thought they were above the heavy lifting. Clearly they thought we don't get our hands dirty. The nobles of Tekoa had probably been weighted on hands and foot. 
They'd probably gone to a church where, where, where the 20% did the stuff and the 80% get to listen. And you were never expected to deal with your staff or get your hands dirty in building a community of disciples on mission. You were never supposed to do that. You were the, you, the men of Tekoa, the nobles of Tekoa. And, and they were the ultimate consumers. How do you know in church if you're one of the nobles of Tekoa? These may not be the, all the criteria. And you might come to me after and say, Howard, you're definitely a noble of Katoa. And I'll say, Lord, help me. But I would say, nobles of Tekoa don't do the heavy lifting. What's the heavy lifting in community? Well, you don't talk to those people you consider to be hard work. You don't really invite people to your homes, unless it's, they're of a certain type of people. You probably don't know the names of new people. You're probably too busy to go to G1. You probably too, if you're on a rotor, it always feels like work rather than joy. And we're praying in our little group as we pray before the meeting. And where's Josh? You there? What did you pray, Josh? You pray that serving, sorry? That serving would be a joy, not a burden. Man. But we're so nobles of Tekoa, aren't we? Flipping rotors. That difficult person coming to talk to me and flipping, tell me their problems again on Sunday mornings. Are we? The nobles of Tekoa, they were above it. They were above it. But actually, the, ch- the worst challenge, I believe, for people that are proud isn't just those things. The worst challenge is they never let anybody in here. They never let anybody in here. They never identify what their issues are. And the interesting thing is that these nobles were born into leadership. But being a leader is not about position. It's about taking a towel and being a servant. It's about rolling up your sleeves. I'm glad I haven't got sleeves this morning. Rolling up your sleeves and building community with people next to you. Good leaders are goal-focused, not role-focused. The goal is much more important than the position. They put, the leaders put their shoulders to the work. The nobles of Tekoa didn't do the job. And so therefore, other, if you read at the end of the chapter, it says, and the men of Tekoa had to do another section. People have to cover for them. So we need to be those people that excel in responsibility, taking responsibility in our marriages, in our parenting, in our work, in our communities. That's what we need to do. We need to say, right, we're going to work with everybody else. Let's just get this down then. I'm not going to get it all finished on, so don't worry. Um, There's the last little thing that I just want to pull out of this. Is that we, you know, as I, let me just recap what Joseph said. We're all called to be disciples and make disciples. This is the gospel work. No one's exempt. No one's above it. Building God's church, building Christ, Christ-like lives, being changed into the likeness of Jesus is for everybody. We all need to participate in something bigger than ourselves. This is what it says. If you read the verses, if you read through chapter three and underlined the word house, you'd get an interesting thing. It talks about so-and-so, so-and-so's name I'm not pronouncing. They did repairs up at their house. And then it says, and next to him, they made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, they made repairs next to their house. And then the priest made repairs each in front of his own house. And then he made repairs opposite his house. What was Nehemiah's brilliant strategy after 143 years to get the building done in 55 days? Because that's what we'll find out he does. What was his strategy? Everybody works. The strategy was... Everybody dealt with their stuff. 
So if you imagine God first as a big church, as a, as a wall, a small wall or a big wall, gaps in the wall, your issues, Andy, oh, <laughs> your issues are a gap in the wall. And, and your issues are a gap in the wall and mine. And, and our, all of our issues are gaps in the wall. When our marriages are under pressure or when our relationships crash or when we, we do something stupid on a weekend that we wish we hadn't done, or, or, or we kind of spend our money wrong or we've got bad attitudes or we get angry or we're insecure or we believe lies, all of those are gaps in the wall where the enemy and evil comes in. Do you understand that concept? Yes. So what do we have to do? We have to all build outside our own house. This is God's design for discipleship. And actually, it's the best leadership. The, the best leaders are not saying, serve me. What they're saying is, serve each other. Let's build where we are. Let's be the best marriages and families and workplaces and all of those things. Let's build, be disciples in our own places. Now, let me just read what I put and then we'll land this. God has placed us all strategically where he wants us to be. Your neighbourhood, your workplace, your home, your everyday life is where you learn to be a disciple of Jesus. Where don't you learn to be a disciple of Jesus? You don't learn by listening to me. That might be just, oh, I recognise some issues. You've got to work the process. That's why God put you here in the place where he wanted to be with the friends and the community next to you to help you build Jesus-shaped lives. Okay, so, so let's just understand then. So, so it says, how do you get this done finally? How do you make this, how do you become a disciple of Jesus? Yeah, you've got to work through the cycle and do that. But actually, ultimately... If you just do all those things without Jesus, it's a waste of time. It's just psychobabble. It's just recognize your issues, talk about them, renounce them. You could do that without Jesus. What is critical here is that Nehemiah has come to change the dynamic. So they've seen things before, and they may have owned them before, and they may have done them before. Nehemiah has come to change the dynamic. And Jesus, we obviously, it's hard to give Jesus a mention in Nehemiah, but Jesus has come as the true and better Nehemiah. That's for you, Zach. The true and better Nehemiah. How is, he li- how is Jesus like Nehemiah? Give me one little thing. Where did he live and where does he come to? He lives in the palace, comes to a place that's a mess. He's the true and better Nehemiah. Jesus is true and better Nehemiah who, who, who weeps over the situation that we find ourselves in. Who intercedes before the Father. Who tells us the truth and leads us into truth. And one who walks alongside us and comes alongside us and takes you, as it were, in your quiet time, in your night times, in your thoughts. He takes you as a few men and says, let's ride around your life. And see what the issues are. And then I'm going to ask you to start right here at home. He's the one, in the words of the enemies of Nehemiah, who's come to promote the welfare of his people. He's another one like Nehemiah. And I think that we need to invite him just as we finish. We need to say, will you come true and better Nehemiah? Come alongside us and tell us we can do it. Tell us it can be different. That habit that you've dealt with and struggled with all your life, he can say, let's get that sorted like a great workman, like a great stonemason. He can break, he can knock off the rough bits, he can shape the wood, and he can put it back in place so that, so that intimacy isn't given to pornography, but it's given to 
correct relationships. That money isn't given to, to greed and stuff, but it's given in the right place. We get the walls. It's not often that the, the, some of the stones, are, we don't have them. It's they've just got in the wrong shape. We need to put them back in the wall. And he comes to do that. And in fact, he, he says this. He says, in, uh, Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as you come to him, that's a wall in Jerusalem, by the way, as you come to him, the living stone, does anyone know what it says extra? Rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. It's so easy to say, Jesus, I don't want you messing with my life. But we need to say, come and walk alongside me. Take me around the walls and show me what I need to see and get in touch with my emotions and help me day after day with my stuff. Rejected by humans, but precious, uh, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, God first church, Christians in the nations, are being built into a spiritual house. He wants to take you and shape you and sort you out and put you in the wall. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that will be no longer in trouble and disgrace. That means your issues in your lives, in your marriages, in your parenting, in your finance, in your diary, in your thoughts, in your alcohol intake. I don't know, you can add in your own that will no longer be in trouble and disgrace, I told them the gracious hand of my God is upon us, God first. And they replied, let's get to work. I'm just going to walk through that cycle in prayer in a moment. Some of you did it already. What do you need to recognise about your own personal war? Where's the big gap? The one you need to start on now. The one the Holy Spirit's pointing to now. The one that's outside your house. It's in your family. It's in your relationships. It's in your computer. It's in your reaction to social media. It's in your self-pity and sadness and comparison. It's the one you know that's there. And he wants to draw your emotional response to that. I, I wept when, I, when Matt came and prayed for me. I told him some stuff. It wasn't sin, it was just a bit of self-pity. About my mum and dad not being around and stuff. And, and I cried. I believed a lie that I was, God was far away and I was on my own. Just through the week as God's been with me, he's kind of said, I'm not in the sky, I'm right here with you. He's put his arm around me and we've walked together and it's been a good week. And that's what God wants to do with you. Some of you need to recognise where you've been pointing the finger and blaming other situations. Some of you need to recognise that you've become a little bit like the nobles of Tekoa. You just would like the life to be done for you and you stuffed your issues and no one really tells you what you like. You nicely bobbled off. God wants to open that up and say, look, this is where I want you to start. So Lord, we just say together, we, re- we repent of those lies we've believed that nothing can change, 
that nothing can be done. Lord, where we've stepped over that same old stone, Lord, you're saying now let's shape it and let's craft it and let's build it back in the world. Lord, I just pray that you'd rebuild. You'd rebuild us in every area, week, personal, family, relational, group, mission. Lord, I pray in 55 days you built, rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and I pray, Lord, dare I believe for that. Lord, that you'd sort out the pastoral mess in each of us and you'd knit us in community and send us on mission. Lord, we say we receive your spirit. We declare that you're the great and awesome, glorious God. You've done it before in your people and we say, would you come and change us again? Come by your spirit, Lord Jesus. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.